VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which is, of course, a fantasy football podcast. And I am today's Tuesday host, Scott Pianowski, and really excited to introduce our next guest. If you read fantasy football on the Internet, you've probably come across Corbin Young's work somewhere. He's a contributor at Fantrax, Rotoviz, Fantasy Data, Roto Underworld. Uh, those are the ones I have right now. For all I know, he may have picked up another gig in the last 10 minutes. Did I, did I get everything, Corbin? Is that uh, everybody you're working for right now? Yeah, yeah, you got that. Okay, and uh, he's a very fine baseball and football analyst. Um, maybe in a, in a different time, we'll get to talk some baseball. But today, of course, is all about fantasy football. And before we get into some of the think pieces that Corbin's been working on and some of the stuff to get you ready for your draft season, we have to start with some hot news. It's look, Football is a, is a game of injuries, and... Um, we had a big one today, a uh, break on Tuesday. Cam Akers sounds like he's done for the year with a blown Achilles. Daryl Henderson steps up, presumably as the starting back. You would think the Rams would add depth, but I don't, I don't know that there's a, a franchise running back just floating around for free right now. Uh, Corbin, have you had an idea of what you would do with Daryl Henderson if you were stepping into a draft today? And, and just how do you see this Rams backfield? Yeah, I think uh, I think Daryl Henderson definitely probably. I think he was probably going past like RB forty or so, but he's probably got to jump up into the RB two range. Or I'm a little worried he's it's going to be more in that RB one range, kind of just as a uh, just kind of as a you know once an exciting prospect, kind of waiting our turn here, and he might kind of jump up into that RB one range if that happens. Might be a little too expensive for my liking there, um, just because. You know, I I just expect another back to be kind of rotating in a little bit there. But the competition is limited as we're looking at the depth chart there. So, yeah, so I think if we can, Darren is easily an RB2 candidate. And he showed a little bit of some, you know, some flashes kind of in the early parts of the season. You know, not nothing too crazy, but he handled, you know, relatively decent workload of, let's say, 15 to 20 carries in several games there. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a... That's there's some good touches there. It didn't quite have that upside that Cam Maker show kind of down the stretch, but you know if, if he's going to get most of the opportunities in that Rams offense, you know will be a valuable player. I think. I'm just my my general gut feeling is that I think I'm going to be underweight on Henderson. I'll probably have less than what would be a normal uh, proportion of him in my draft portfolio when it's all said and done. That's just a gut feel today. I mean, this, this news is just a few hours old. If I were to ask you, Corbin, do you think you'll be overweight on Henderson, about maybe average weight on Henderson or maybe underweight on Henderson? What's your gut feel right now with this news pretty fresh? I think I agree with you there. Um, like, I think, you know, obviously his ADP is going to skyrocket, but at the same time, yeah, I'm trying to look at guys like, you know, after that, you know, number 12 running back range. Like, am I going to take him over Aaron Jones? Probably not. You know, am I going to take him over Najee Harris? Uh, I don't know if he's going to get, you know, he might get more overall touches. So I think there's a lot of guys that like, by the time I get to that point, 
you know, he may have already been drafted with some of the hype. So yeah, I think I'm with you there that he may go a little earlier than I expect. And so probably just, you know, I'm okay if I miss on him. Now this Cam Akers injury news leads us directly into an article you recently wrote for Rotoviz talking about how to get bargain basement running backs with RB1 potential. This is the key to the kingdom in fantasy, right? We all need running back production and we'd like to get it on a budget. We'd like to get it at affordable prices. Uh, Talk about that piece a little bit and and some of the names that you came up with. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I kind of built on some of the research by uh, Jack Miller and he's kind of looking at uh, the kind of big gap and small gap ADP running backs. Uh, So essentially, um, the big gap, we're kind of looking at like the, the RB1 on that specific team. And the big gap is essentially, I think it was 90 and a half picks. So it, if if there's a gap of ADP larger than 90 and a half from that RB1 on that team to the RB2, then that's considered a big gap running back. So some of the big ones we know are like Christian McCaffrey or... Saquon Barkley or these other backs that are going to dominate kind of those touches. And then the second running back on their team isn't going to be drafted, you know, may not even be drafted or, or it's going to be like a last round pick. So two of the ones that stood out when I looked at that were Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis. Um, You know, obviously both kind of blew up on the scene last year with some um, helpful fantasy weeks and such. And so um, Mike Davis, you know, obviously with a new team, you know, different contexts, uh, different everything. So it's hard to really necessarily translate everything out there. But he did show some some strong games in the beginning of the season without Christian McCaffrey, right? We saw like a few RB1 weeks early in the season, kind of died down a little bit in the middle of the season. Um, but, you know, d- did show that pass catching ability. So I, I, I don't think he'll, you know, again, it's about, like, I think it's partly about competition. Like we're talking about with who's behind Daryl Henderson. We look at the Falcons, running back room there's Cordero Patterson which I you know he's a great athlete but I don't think he's really going to step into RB2 range Quadri Allison who eh, doesn't excite me there Javian Hawkins is the kind of hot name there but even his ADP is like pretty far off there so as an undrafted uh rookie there so Mike Davis is a guy that I know has kind of had some polarizing uh takes in the community there with just kind of fading or kind of interested um but yeah, he's a guy that I'm kind of targeting as as a, a big gap ADP running back there. And and again, kind of cheaper. So they're kind of going in that range of like the back end RB2. Um, you know, that's probably fair, you know, ADP wise. But um, those are guys that if I'm waiting on running back, which I kind of did in the Scott Fishbowl, <laughs> which we'll talk about a little later. Um, he was the guy that I was looking at. Miles Gaskin is a <clears throat> another guy that, I really, really like, and I know he's got maybe less of a prospect profile, but he was super productive at Washington, uh, living out here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we saw a lot of Miles Gaskin. You know, he's not necessarily a bigger dude, but the guy put up some pretty productive seasons at Washington, um, you know, just constantly just dominating, you know, touches there. Uh, but he, he looked pretty good last year. Um, you know, he, he didn't have necessarily the ceiling that Mike Davis kind of showed, um, but he did definitely show that pass catching ability, you know, was, was a guy that, uh, it was a small, um, I used the Rotoviz uh, game slits app tool and it was a small sample, but, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't seem to really check down and target to some guy like Miles Gaskin, but to Otago definitely did. And he was, he scored about 19 
almost 20 fantasy points a game uh, with two wide quarterback compared to just under 14 fantasy points a game with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, and he was just more efficient as a rusher and just more efficient as a, as a receiver as well. So unfortunately, I think I had to look at the ADP in the Scott Fishbowl, but I think Miles Gaskin went before I, you know, before I, I could grab him, but he was a guy that I was definitely looking to grab there. And again, you know, going in that back in RB2, probably going to lead their backfield in touches and just uh, just a wide gap in terms of the next running back on that team drafted. So those are two guys that I was kind of looking at that if they can dominate the touches, fortune can go in their way, pass catching ability, they kind of check a bunch of boxes in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, opportunity is such a huge part of fantasy, the ability to catch the ball and, you know, see your game script independent. Gaskin's fascinating to me. Now, now the backup, the presumed backup is probably Salvin Ahmed, who was another Washington player. Uh, their careers overlapped at UW. And you know, Gaskin actually led of, among qualified running backs. I believe he had the best yards per target last year. I, I know not everybody might be on board with yards per target as an efficiency stat, but I mean, hey, if you're catching most of your targets and making production out of it, that matters to me. And I think you're on to something with the, the splits, the Fitzpatrick splits, the Tua splits, and how they relate to Gaskin. I mean, I mean, look, I, I, yes, is it a huge sample now? But are we comforted by the fact that Gaskin played his best ball? I mean, we all love Fitzpatrick and everything, but Gaskin seemed to play better, seemed to be more utilized with Tua. That, that's only a good thing. And I think it's a great way to attack this running back situation where, okay, what, the market is telling you something. We don't think there's a major threat to the, the playing time of Davis, to the playing time of Gaskin. I mean, I guess with Gaskin, you may worry a little bit about his body type and how many carries can he handle, but you could say that about so many players at the running back position. I think they're both really good values. And let's maybe pivot that into what you did at the fishbowl. And, you know, I don't even know what, 1,500, 2,000, is just the whole industry. There's a ton of managers in this league. And I think there's a mindset you need to have. We're all long shots to win this thing, right? I mean, it's to some degree a lottery. You're going to have to get lucky, but you're going to give yourself a chance to, I think, step into variance and give yourself a chance to do correlated things that can give you a better chance to be lucky. And I didn't do a great job. I, I do have Kirk Cousins and, and Adam Thielen as a stack, a quarterback receiver stack. I don't think people are pining to get those two guys together. I mean, Thielen's a good player. Cousins is a solid quarterback. But it's not like I got somebody who's like a top five receiver or I got somebody who's a top five quarterback. You, I looked at – I had asked you to send me your – um your fishbowl roster. And I looked at it and I'm like, man, I wish this was my team. Now I had the 12 slot in my draft. You had the floor slot in your draft. So, you know, we're going to have somewhat different paths, but the way the fishbowl works is if Scott fish wants every position to matter and there's so many different roster builds. And so I'll just, I'll just rattle off a few of your early picks. You started with, it's a, a league that allows multiple flexes. You can play two quarterbacks. There's tight end premium scoring. You even added kickers this year. If you, if you want to play kickers in the flex, one guy in my league, by the way, took seven kickers. I want to mention that it wasn't me. Uh, you got, So I thought priority was you want a good quarterback in this draft. You start with Josh Allen at 104, and then you immediately you link him up with Stephon Diggs. And I, again, I think you need to have correlation plays to win a league like the Fishbowl. Well, you got Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs right off the bat. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Trevor Lawrence. You waited on tight end, quote-unquote waited. This is a league where the, the tight end premium scoring is really important. You still got Mark Andrews in the fifth round. We talked about Mike Davis. He was your sixth round pick, which I think is really good for a zero RB build. And then later you were able to correlate uh, some of Lawrence's passing game where you got DJ Chark and you got Marvin Jones. So if we've seen rookie quarterbacks be really good right away, 
in some cases. I mean, Herbert was great last year. Burrow was playing at a high level. I mean, you go back to Cam Newton, had a really good rookie year. Kyler Murray was a factor in his rookie season. So I don't think it's asking too much for Trevor Lawrence to be fantasy viable. And you got him at QB 17. Were you looking to stack going into this? Uh, just give me an idea of what your strategy was going to the fishbowl and, and how do you think you executed it? Yeah, so I did a couple of mocks and I, you know, out of the four spot in one mock, I took CMC. And then I, you know, it was probably because I was doing the mock with some other, you know, writers, analysts that when it got to some of the other picks, I was like, oh, I don't really like this build here, you know? And so I was trying to think back like, okay, if I had taken Josh Allen, which, you know, if he was there or Kyler Murray or something like that, like I probably feel better about my build. I didn't intend to go kind of zero RB, but as I was kind of thinking through, how far away we are from the season, you know, and just kind of thinking about like how early we're drafting so much changes injury wise, you know, situations, those kind of things. Um, and I figured that, um, and this is kind of part of the zero RB mindset is like, what's more projectable, right? Like I, I can, we can project that Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins are going to be pretty darn good, right? Are they going to lead their team and dominate some of the, the targets and receptions and such. Um, so yeah, I definitely had my eye out for planning for the Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs stack. Um, I think I even took Stefan Diggs before Devontae Adams, which, you know, I could have taken Devontae Adams, but I think there's an argument to be made that Stefan Diggs could be the the number one overall wide receiver this year. If we look at, uh, kind of did a piece looking at Stefan Diggs and, you know, if you look at Devontae Adams and Tyreek Kill, or who are typically around the, you know, the top three wide receivers, well, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill like exploded for touchdowns last year. So not that it's necessarily going to go away, but just looking at the production receiving wise outside of touchdowns that Stefan Diggs had, I figured, you know, if things break his way touchdown wise, he could definitely be in the conversation for that. Um, and then I couldn't pass up DeAndre Hopkins, you know, I can't remember who was there, but, and then I think I'd mentioned this to you, but I, I thought about taking Derek Carr, right. And you talk about the settings The settings are very unique where I think it's like a minus a point uh, for a sack and minus point for interception. So someone like Derek Carr, who doesn't necessarily turn the ball over, felt like the safe play. But then I was like, I was trying to play towards ceiling. So I'm like, Trevor Lawrence is an unknown. You know, he could provide that rushing upside. You know, could be one of the, could be a QB one towards the end of the season if things break that way. Um, and so, yeah, from there, I was like, I, I'm I'm pretty high in DJ Shark this year. Um, I know several people are like LaVisca Chanel, LaVisca Chanel, and, I, and I'm buying into the Chanel hype a little bit. But at the same time, if there's going to be a discount on a guy that I think will bounce back in DJ Chark, I'm going to take that. And and so once once DJ Chark fell, then I was like, okay, I'll try to get another. Chanel went. I tried to get Chark and Chanel, but Chanel went given the hype. And so I just kind of stacked Marvin Jones. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of research out there on stacking, and I'm kind of buying into it a little bit more and right. I think uh, just trying to do the stacking right, at least like trying to find the right pass catchers to pair them with um, and not kind of overreach on certain players to make that work. Um, so I I can't say I've always been into stacking, but this year I've kind of been more into it and just kind of fortunately happened where I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take, uh, you know, two of the potentially top receivers on the Jaguars and pair them with Trevor Lawrence. Um, and then there wasn't really anybody in Buffalo outside of the my tight end three there, Dawson Knox, that I could really pair. Right, the Allen Knox stock. As there a, we go. As a guy. Again, to apply this, you know, if you're in a regular, I don't know, 12-team fantasy football league, you, that's it. It's just the 12, the 11 other managers and you. Um, you could stack. There could be 
good stacks, bad stacks. There could be reasons to stack. A draft could fall a certain way where it made sense. A draft could fall a certain way where it didn't make sense. But again, when you and, and I don't, I wish I knew off the top of my head what 1,800, 2,000. I don't know how many people are in the fishbowl. It's, it's enormous. The odds of any, I don't care how great you are at fantasy football, the odds of any of us winning it are very, very small. This is like entering a really large um, college basketball NCAA pool or something where I think you need to have, I always ask myself, what do I think is plausible that could happen that gives me the biggest bang for my buck? I mean, I look at your team and think, okay, let's just imagine Stephon Diggs is the wide receiver one. Let's say he has the best season of his career. He scores 15 touchdowns. You know, you know he outscores, he outpaces everybody by 40 or 50 points. That's going to come. Josh Allen will come along for the ride for that. There's no way those two things can happen independently. And that gives you a huge advantage. You, you just need Diggs to have you know, the best year of his career. And you know Buffalo, they're running everything back. They kept the offensive coordinator. The I, I was, and I'll admit, one of the things I got wrong last year is I wasn't sure how quickly Allen and Diggs would get comfortable together. And I wasn't really in love with Allen as an accurate quarterback. We know Diggs is just as angelic route runner my colleague matt Harmon, his reception perception just loves Diggs. It, it's always he's always thought Diggs was the best route runner in the league i think for the last few seasons i wasn't sure how quickly they'd, they'd get on the same page i thought it could maybe take a year and it's interesting hopkins was part of that too hopkins changed teams and i'm like you know i'm nervous about these guys talk about getting something wrong i, mean, I was totally wrong on that Diggs was great hopkins was great even robbie anderson you know reuniting with his temple coach he was very good right away at carolina in a year where we had you know, COVID going on and training camps were, were different. There weren't any exhibition games. And, and these guys, you know, the talent just won out. So, I, I, again, I think if you're trying to win a big league, a big contest, you know, and then, you know, obviously the fishbowls come and went. So, you know, people are listening probably aren't in the fishbowl or, you know, if they are in the fishbowl, they've already drafted. But if you're in a big contest, you're in a, a best ball contest where there's an overall component. If you're in an NFFC contest where there's an overall component, I, I really think it's incumbent to try to get tied to some stacking because then you don't need that many things to go right. And if they go wrong, Hey, it, it's hard to win a really big contest. You're know, tying into the idea of embracing variants. You took somebody who I've, I've kind of done a 180 on Odell Beckham's been somebody I have not been actively drafting the last few years. He's a little bit of a mercurial guy. He changed teams, which made me a little bit nervous. I wasn't really sure what I thought about Baker Mayfield. And then last year, OBJ gets hurt early in the season. Mayfield plays better without him. But that could that could be a lot of different things. That could be the Stefanski scheme taking some while to, to kind of take root and Mayfield getting comfortable. You take Beckham in the in the eighth round. He's your fourth receiver, and I, and I love where you got him because if, if Beckham gets hurt or he has an off season, okay, well he's your fourth receiver. You know you'd like him to be good, but you have three guys ahead of him in Diggs, Hopkins, and you know I guess Lockett and, and Beckham are probably close in value. But you already have a very fortified position. You have those Jaguar receivers that we mentioned. And what if Beckham goes back to being a Pro Bowl player? What if he goes back to being a 12-touchdown guy, which I still think is in his range of outcomes? And Cleveland, finally, for all the coaches they got wrong, right? For 20 years, they couldn't get a coach. They couldn't get a quarterback that had any staying power that that really clicked in Cleveland. I think they finally got it right with Stefanski. I think Mayfield is good enough, and maybe Mayfield's upside is a legitimate Pro Bowl guy. You got Beckham where you would like him to be good, and you'd love him to be great. But if he's not that good, he's your eighth-round pick. I think that's the perfect time to buy in on somebody and just go for the upside. And if it doesn't pan out, so what? And, you know, that's exactly kind of my mindset, right? So I looked at it and I was like, Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins both could be the number one overall or top five wide receivers, right? And then I looked at it at like Tyler Lockett. Sure, there's some inconsistencies, but 
Tyler Lockett's shown the ability to put up wide receiver one numbers. Um, and then again, yeah, I, I've, I've been, uh, and to go back to the Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen thing, I would, I totally whiffed on that too. If you look at some of the, I kind of noted that in an article, but it's like Josh Allen was like, he barely passed the ball. <laughs> you know, he wasn't accurate. He wasn't efficient. And so, yeah. So what I've been trying to do, at least in this Scott Fishable, is just buy into the talent, right? So you're talking about Odo Beckham's talent. Like there's a, there, it's within the range of outcomes that he could put up some, at least some high end wide receiver to potentially, you know, some wide receiver one type numbers. So I try to kind of look at it that way where you're exactly right. That's kind of was my mindset. I was looking at the board. I was like, I don't really like drafting Odo Beckham Jr. Um, but you know, this is probably the lowest his ADP is probably going to be here and I'm going to buy back into that upside. Um, so yeah, I did try to go in that mindset of like, uh, even a little later when I was debating Jalen Rager, like guys like that, where I was like, just because they had a down season or just because there was some issues, you know, there's some unknown, there's some talent there that it could boom or that, you know, it could fall in their favor there. So that that is yeah that's one of the reasons why I kept hammering on these wide receivers because I couldn't keep passing up on this idea that with the variance of the Scott Fishbowl right and I was just looking at it, it's it's nineteen hundred and twenty teams so give, given the amount of people in that and I, I believe it's a this is my first time playing it but isn't it like a total points based thing where there's some kind of total points in that so yes. I was trying to look at it from that perspective right of like too often. And maybe this is more of the fantasy baseball in you, but like too often I'm playing for the safety in the floor, but there seems to be a little more volatility in fantasy football. So I'm trying to play into that, you know, ceiling based drafting a little more, you know, also, but also, you know, taking some safer guys that I know are going to, you know, be solid contributors throughout the year. And I'm not going to be worried about cycling in and out guys. So let's look at, you did not prioritize running back. Um, I'll list the running backs who are on your 22 team roster. Mike Davis in the sixth round with your first back. You took Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny, 11th round, James Connor in the 12th round, Philip Lindsay, who I'm seeing percolating. He's on a lot of sleeper lists. I saw a recent sleeper article in the athletic and felt like everybody on the athletic loves Philip Lindsay. I'm, I'm a Lindsay guy too. Uh, we talked about Salvin Ahmed in passing. He's uh, Miami's number two back. Uh, you got him in 20th round, RB65, and then Joshua Kelly. Again, he's kind of a little bit of a trendy guy there. He's a little, little bit of a night spot. There's no sign out front, but it seems like the hipsters are hanging out with Joshua Kelly. So Davis Fournette, James Conner, Philip Lindsay, Salman Ahmed, and Joshua Kelly. We've already talked about Davis some. Let, let's go through one by one with these other backs and, ju- and just talk about uh, how they made sense for your build or just what you expect this year. You know, what a, what a strange trip for Leonard Fournette, right? I mean, last year... Third or fourth round pick. He's cut before the season, doesn't have a team. Uh, kind of had an uneven regular season, but man, he looked like pretty, pretty darn good in the playoffs. It was a big part of of them surging to the Super Bowl championship. They obviously have other backs there. They've added other backs. Uh, what are you thinking about Leonard Fournette in 2021? I remember last season, right when uh, Leonard Fournette was released, and I did a draft and I thought I was like, yes, I just drafted Leonard Fournette late in my draft. And, you know, I'm just going to stash him and, uh, it took quite a while for that to, you know, happen there. Um, yeah, with with guys like Leonard Fournette and James Conner, um, you know, I'm probably going to have to hammer home the waiver wire a little bit. But I try to look at guys like, you know, at least I can lock in two out of those three running backs, assuming health, um, at least early in the season. And then I can kind of worry about how that shakes out later on, um, you know, it seems like it's probably fair to expect that both Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones are going to share some of the touches in some, some shape or form. 
Leonard Fournette was getting some of the, you know, targets and and receiving production there, even though it wasn't super efficient. So James Conner, I love Chase Edmonds, but Chase Edmonds didn't really get some of the kind of goal line, you know, high value touches there. He was getting a lot of the receiving production there, but I, I just, I just figure if James Conner is healthy, you know, he's shown the ability to be able to kind of handle kind of a workhorse role until, you know, he gets dinged up or something like that. But I was kind of buying back into, again, I've been trying to buy back into some guys like uh, James Conner, where maybe someone had soured on him after kind of a down season last year and, and just trying to buy back into the idea that, you know, there could be a bounce back there. Um, They'll probably take some of the early down work and, you know, he's shown the ability to catch some passes and do those kind of things in the PPR game. So the other guys are just long shots. Uh, Philip Lindsay, like you said, you know, just kind of a, you know, how long is Dave Johnson going to last? I don't even know how old Dave Johnson is. Is he as old as like Frank Gore or something pretty soon? Or <laughs> well, he, He's one of those guys I used to joke and with uh, Todd Gurley when he was like 25 or 26, that he was like 26 going on 40, you know? And I feel like David Johnson's one of those guys that, He's been around the league for a while. He's bounced around. There's, there's been injury concerns. We know there's a lot of moving parts to Houston. I, I think they're kind of seen as a consensus worst team in football right now. But the thing with Lindsay is, I mean, he had a really good rookie year, had a really good second year. And then last year, you could write it all off to injury. I think he's getting a change of pace at the right time. And I, I just don't trust Johnson. Now, I don't really trust his offense, but I think Philip Lindsay can, can still play. And he's somebody who I would – He's more of a priority or I guess proactive pick is the, is the phrase I like to use where uh, I'm not, not going to go into my draft like, oh, I'm, I'm coming out with Philip Lindsay no matter what. But I mean, where he's slotted right now in current ADP, I think he makes a lot of sense. And again, it's a lottery ticket. It's a long shot. You know, if it doesn't work out, if you need that roster space early in the season, you can always drop him for somebody else. But I think there's certainly a case for Philip Lindsay and, and a lot of moving parts of this. I mean, maybe there's a chance Watson could play. Maybe there's a chance Tyrod Taylor could at least be competent enough to make this a six-win team or something like that. I, I think where you got where you got Lindsay, it, it makes perfect sense because again, you know, you're not these are not. It, it's like throwing a long pass. It's probably going to be incomplete. It may be intercepted every once in a while. You connect and, and it's a big play. I, I think where you got Lindsay, he made a lot of sense. Uh, t- talk about Josh Kelly. Um, obviously, Eckler is the starting back there. Kelly kind of had an in and out uh, rookie season, but. Um, you know, I mean, there's maybe some goal line equity. The Chargers have a good offense, and I guess we could we could tie in Ahmed too, who you know, in brief moments had you know, some some flashes last year. I know he did a pretty good game against the Patriots. I don't think he's a bad player. Like Gaskin, he was productive at Washington. Um, you know, they, they've done a nice job getting you know less than five star recruits to be productive at that program. So I, I think Ahmed, although I'm totally on board with you on why Gaskin was a really good pick, I, I think Ahmed is a nice guy. You know, you're finishing out a best ball draft. 19th round, 20th round, I could see myself scooping up some Ahmed shares. Yeah, with Ahmed, you know, uh, without um, when Miles Gaskin was injured, they showed they could, they turned to him, right? And so that's kind of where I was leaning there. I was like, well, if, if someone like Miles Gaskin, who I really like, um, gets injured, then they're probably going to turn to Ahmed, or at least they showed that in uh, last year. Um, the only minor concern I have with Ahmed is the limited receiving profile, at least in the small sample that he kind of took over. Um, a few weeks there, he had a, most of the rushing opportunities there, but the, the only downside would just be that he might not be involved in the past game. And I imagine that he's probably going to be mixed in there, right? He talked about Miles Gaskin's size. 
he's not necessarily a guy that's going to play like every single down there, but he, you know, he may have to share a little bit of the opportunities. Um, Josh Kelly, if I recall, I think the chargers have kind of shown the, at least in the past, even with Austin Eckler, that they're willing to share some of the touch touches in the backfield. I love Justin Jackson. Every time I get into Justin Jackson, it seems like he either gets injured or lets me down. Um, so I, instead of, uh, you know, whatever the third phrase is, instead of buying back into somebody that I keep buying back into without th- considering other options. So I was kind of just looking at um, Josh Kelly. He had an interesting kind of profile, you know, not, nothing too explosive, but he's a bigger back, right? So I, I try to look at it as like, okay, if I'm going to take a wild card in this backfield that I think um, will share some touches with another running back, I think he was just like, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, oh, there's a Chargers running back there in the last fix. So I'll give it a shot there. And I need a running back, you know, in terms of just like trying to take some gambles to see if some things uh, shake out where maybe Justin Jackson, you know, doesn't look so great in camp or something. And Josh Kelly's kind of taking on that second running back role. So. so as we cleaned up the rest of your roster, this will pivot nicely into a recent article you wrote where you talked about second year receivers as a fantasy, uh, a very underappreciated underexploited cheat code. And you, you certainly steered into that with some of your later picks in the fishbowl. You took Jalen Rager, 1404. And poor Jalen Rager. He had to get taken in front of Justin Jefferson. I was worried it's going to dog that guy for a lot of his career that you know, the Eagle fans are not going to forget the guys they could have had. Um, you know, this is where I mentioned that I'm a Patriots fan and the Nikhil Harry pick is always going to frustrate me. But anyway, we move on. Denzel Mims, you got in the 19th round, a uh, young receiver for the Jets and KJ Hamler, is um, one of several talented receivers on that Broncos team. Uh, talk about why you think this second-year receiver group is – and we're not talking about Justin Jefferson here. We're not talking about guys who were stars right away, but we're talking about some of the players who maybe didn't do that much last year. Why is this an underappreciated or undertapped resource, and, and how can we utilize it? And, and does it tie into some of the guys you drafted in the fishbowl? Yeah. So again, I kind of built on, um, again, there's so many great, so much great research happening. I wrote a viz and I kind of built on some of the research from the editor, um, one of the main editors and writer Blair Andrews kind of did some research on kind of year two um, receivers and kind of that big jump there. Um, So I want to kind of look at um, just the, I try to look at some of the thresholds that as he had as kind of qualifiers and, and essentially there are 21 year old rookies and if they scored 100 fantasy points in year one. So at least, and I'll, I'm going to do a follow-up uh, article because I think there's more, like I drafted a couple of them. There's, I think there's more second-year receivers to consider here. But um, yeah, someone like Jerry Judy stood out. Just a terrible season in terms of efficiency. I think he ranked the two, 235th in terms of fantasy points over expectation, which is bad, <laughs> pretty terrible. Um, so uh, but he did check a lot of those boxes, right? 21-year-old as a rookie, uh, 100 fantasy points. Um, he had a pretty good prospect profile. He received a ton of air yards, top 25 in weighted opportunity rating, which kind of takes into the target share and air yard share. So there, there are some signs of optimism there. So he was a guy that I was kind of looking at and um, as kind of a, my number one. Like if, I, if I'm going to target a second-year wide receiver outside of the main ones you talked about, right? Like, you know, all those other ones are going high and like T and Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb, Chase Claypool, those kind of guys. Like outside of that, I'm looking at Jerry Judy as kind of my top kind of middle late round guy that, or I guess not even late round, more middle round guy that I think I'm going to be actively targeting as a second year wide receiver. <clears throat> the other guy that stood out was uh, 
LaVisca Chanel. And so <laughs> I was hesitant on LaVisca Chanel, but I, I'm again, I'm trying to buy into the, the idea of that, like, maybe I should be prioritizing talent and ability more than I am kind of like, what's the situation or opportunity, right? Like, I love DJ Shark, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't look outside of DJ Shark, right? So I'm trying to be a little open-minded and consider some other options there. So uh, Chanel, you know, we know this, he's just a yak monster. He's a pretty good athlete. And he he met some of those thresholds there. And with Chanel, and I think it's the same thing with Shark, I I think we're assuming a an uptick in production for the entire Jags offense, right? We're assuming that Trevor Lawrence is going to be much better than um, Gardner Minshew, who else had Jake Luton, Mike Lennon, you know, all those guys. We're just assuming that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a much, definitely help them out a lot. And so one of the one of the stats that kind of stood out is for Chanel was a receiver area conversion rate. And he ranked number three. Um, and so it kind of measures how effective the receiver is in turning area yards into actual receiving yards. Um, so, you know, but, but if you look at some of the production, you know, throughout the season there, you know, nothing really like pops off at you with Chanel, but I think again, buying in the talent, you look at some of the tools that Rotoviz has some of the box score scouting. And I think some of the comps they have for Chanel are like AJ Brown and DeAndre Hopkins. So you're looking at some pretty solid, uh, NFL players, fantasy, you know, wide receiver one. So he's a guy that again, you know, I, I hope to land, but he's he's got so much hype surrounding him that he's probably gonna, you know, it's I'm probably gonna miss out on him and that ended up happening in the fishbowl where everybody's loving him. So I think that's that's uh that's a hard one to grab. But if you can grab, he's definitely a, you know, either Judy or Lashanot or two guys that I'm looking at. Um the one guy that is the cheapest, probably one of the cheaper second year is Henry Ruggs. So Henry Ruggs, we know we know the deal with him, right? He had so a couple of boom weeks, the rest were, eh, weren't so great, right? When you see uh, he was a wide receiver three or worse in 85% of his games, that's that's not a that's not a positive uh, a thing there. But but he, he didn't meet the 100 fantasy point threshold, but he, you know, Nelson Aguilar is not there, but they did replace him with John Brown. We know that offense runs through Darren Waller, so that is a concern. Um, but again, if we're looking at a dart throw to take for a guy like, uh, second year wide receiver that could take that leap. Henry Ruggs is the cheapest guy there. Um, and so one of the, th- one of the couple of stats that kind of stood out were that Ruggs averaged, uh, the third most air yards per target at 17.4. And he also averaged 18 most yards after the catch per reception. So <clears throat> he not only was targeted downfield, he also, you know, created yards after the catch. So <laughs> those two things are pretty rare to have kind of side by side there so you know last year Derek Carr kind of showed that he can push the ball downfield right with Nelson Aguilar that kind of thing maybe maybe uh Ruggs kind of takes over some of those deep targets there but you know John Brown also does kind of serve as a kind of deep faster receiver there but uh Ruggs is a guy that uh you know I think the upside is hard to ignore um and again you're you're buying in an ADP that's you know, he's probably a bench player and you can turn him off your roster if you don't see any anything positive in the first few weeks. So I mean, I know it's it's easy to make jokes at the Raiders' expense sometimes, but Ruggs was the number one receiver drafted in an unbelievable receiver class. Obviously it was a star at Alabama. And sometimes you just have to give these guys an excuse. You know, the learning curve is different. You know, for every Justin Jefferson who hits the ground running and, and just kind of tears the league up. 
a lot of guys aren't going to get reps right away. They're going to need time to, to learn how the game is different, you know, how the routes are different, how the, how the cornerback play is different and all that stuff. And, you know, who's to say that he couldn't put it together in a second or third year. I mean, I, I've been playing fantasy long enough that it used to be the, the popular school of thought was like, okay, ignore rookie receivers, come back in, in year three, you know, not year, not even year two to give them two years to learn teams weren't playing multiple receiver packages. It was just two receivers most of the time. So you didn't have that third receiver, fourth receiver on the field as often as we do now. The game was much different. And so what I would do every year is I'd be like, okay, I, I'd listen to all the hype of these receivers. Yeah, every once in a while, Randy Moss would come on and, and break the game. And, you know, A.J. Green and Julio Jones were great. That 2014 class was really good. But for I think for a 20-year period, if you faded rookie receivers or young receivers, you're probably way ahead of the game now. What we've seen is the college game and the pro game have morphed closer together, and it's just not that unusual for these guys, a lot of them, to be really good right away. And to the point that I think we're unfairly penal of the guys who don't rip up the league right away, like a like a Ruggs, like a Rager, um, you know, some of these guys. You know, Judy is fascinating to me because I, you know, I'm, I'm not an NFL scout. I'm just a reasonably intelligent guy who's watched a lot of football. And I see the twitchiness to this guy and just how hard he is to cover. I know he had a problem with drops, but as long as the drops don't take away from your opportunity, I, I think that's just something you you can iron out. And he had a play. This, this is you know kind of totally anecdotal, but he had a 90-yard touchdown in the final game of the season against um, the Raiders, I guess it was. Caught a drag and, and basically ran through the whole team photo. And I just said to myself, man, Jerry Judy, I don't know how you can cover him. I know he's got some work to do, some polish to do. His hands could be better, but I think he can be a special player. Now, now the complication with Judy is they have so many good skill players, so many good receivers there. They have a really good tight end in, in Noah Fant. They have an uncertain quarterback situation. I'm not sure how good Drew Locke is. I'm not sure that Teddy Bridgewater is any kind of an answer. We know they've been linked to Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if that's a reasonable thing at this point in the season where they could actually add in Rodgers. But, man, they have a lot of skill talent there. And I've already gotten some Judy shares, and I'm, sh- I'm sure I'll get some more of them. Let me quickly just touch on some other second-year receivers we didn't mention. And if this is any of these guys interest you, uh, Darnell Mooney has some supporters. I know a lot of our my colleagues at Yahoo are Bears fans, so they're, they're really striking up the band for Mooney. Gabriel Davis had some moments. John Brown is gone. Um, they, they did add, obviously, Sanders. So you know, it could be a little bit crowded there, but he's an interesting guy. Michael Pittman didn't get really any breaks his rookie year. He got hurt, but there's talent there. New quarterback. We'll see who, who Carson once gets comfortable with. Uh, Denzel Mims. I don't know. We talked about him earlier. He was one of your, your picks in the fishbowl. Jets have a lot of talent at receiver, and I think it can be hard to figure out who the alpha dog's going to be there. Maybe it'll take a while to figure it out. Any of those uh, those other second-year receivers, uh, do they tickle your fancy as a middle or late-round pick? Yeah, Darnell Mooney is definitely a guy that I like outside of Allen Robinson. They're probably leaning on some of the run game, and, and you know, it's, it's yet to be seen how that offense changes a little bit if Justin Fields kind of takes over there. Oh, Gabe, Gabe Davis. So, yeah, I think uh, the Emmanuel Sanders kind of signing, uh, you know, tempers our expectations a little bit with Gabe Davis, right? Uh, I'm they, they I'm pretty sure they they ran a ton of uh, three wide receiver sets with the Bills, so he he probably will get on the field. Um, that Cole Beasley situation is a whole other conversation too. But you know, I think he has the talent to be able to kind of slide into a role. You know, he did give us some productive weeks, right? And, and when he when he received kind of the, some of the targets and somewhat efficient in some of those games, um, so I, I think there's some hype there. Uh, but you know, if I'm gonna hammer home on like these are guys that are going to take his dart throws, right? I'm not going to like 
I'm not going to be relying on them in my flex, hopefully. And uh, what other, you mentioned, I thought you mentioned one more, but those are two guys. I think they're kind of in the same category. Michael Pittman, perhaps? Pittman, yeah. Pittman. Pittman is a guy, uh, it's probably a definite, uh, I shouldn't say definite after Carson Wentz struggled, but it's probably a better, it's probably a quarterback upgrade. Um, you know, Pittman's a little more of a kind of big body guy that uh, could uh, take over kind of that wide receiver one role. I, I do I do like him a little bit better, I think, than um, than Mooney and Gabe Davis, just kind of based on opportunity or what's available in the in that receiving room. Um, unless, you know, unless I'm counting out T.Y. Hilton again, but uh, <laughs> Michael Pittman is a guy that I probably prefer out of those three in terms of Mooney and Gabe Davis, um, just based on kind of projected opportunity that he should receive in that offense. This may sound a little kooky, but after the year Justin Jefferson had, we're all in love with him. He's a dynamic player. Man, that LSU offense was really fun. I can't wait to see Jamar Chase play this year. But I can't get this thought out of my head. Maybe it's just a hot take, and I, I just – I've gone down the the river with it, and I just you know I, I need to get a reality check. This part of me that thinks CD Lamb, when it's all said and done, is going to go down as the best receiver in this class. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that? Or not that Je- I'm not in any way sliding Jefferson. I just think there's a a gear to, to to Lamb, and and he was terrific in a rookie year where Prescott got hurt in the first third of it. Man, were they going to put up ridiculous numbers had Prescott not gotten hurt? And, you know, in part because their defense was terrible, but do you think in a dynasty sense, do you think it's kooky to think that maybe C.D. Lamb could wind up being the gem of this class? Not that Justin Jefferson, I don't expect anything less than a great career, but uh, what do you think of my hot take that C.D. Lamb might be the number one guy when this is all said and done? No, I don't think that's hot take at all. I think, uh, you know, C.D. Lamb already showed us that even in a in a crowded, relatively crowded wide receiver, you know, group there that he definitely stood out. Quarterback situation rise, as long as he's tied with Dak Prescott, looks pretty good as well. So I don't, I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think there's an argument to be made. I, I, yeah, I think uh, just in terms of reaction wise, right. We, you know, I think gut gut wise, we are probably reacting to Justin Jefferson's just uber efficient, uber productive season. That's probably within the range of outcomes as well, but I think you can't probably can't go wrong with either Justin Jefferson or CD Lamb is kind of one of the top, well, I guess sophomores now, but rookies from last year. The words of Corbin Young, uh, who's doing some excellent work for a variety of, of fantasy football sites. We have a few more minutes with him today. Before we wrap up on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, I'm Scott Pianaski. So you talked about the second-year receivers as a cheat code. Um, we, we didn't talk about this as a topic earlier, but I, I just think it's a fun thing that we could maybe finish up on. Tight end is the one position where I think we, we kind of pump the brakes on rookies because you know they have to learn how to block. They, they have their foot on the ground their hand on the ground, I should say, everybody's feet on the ground, but they have their hand on the ground. A lot of times they're blocking. A lot of times they're handled with kid gloves. They're really eased into the NFL game. Now, Kyle Pitts is a guy, people have different rules for Pitts, right? I mean, he's probably going to be a hybrid receiver for that Falcons team. Obviously, Julio Jones has left town. I'm curious, two questions I want to ask you about. I want to get your take on Pitts, if, if you believe he's a unicorn, if you're drafting him proactively. And I also, since we talked about, you know, wide receivers in season two, I still think tight ends in season three can be a fun investment to make. TJ Hawkinson's into season three. Noah Fant, his, his uh, teammate at Iowa, and his Iowa produced a lot of good tight ends. Throw George Kittle into that mix. He's in season three. Irv Smith Jr., you would think he would get a, a nice bump in snap share, although maybe Ty Conklin's going to play more than anybody wants to. But Kyle Rudolph is gone. Irv Smith, obviously, a first round pedigree he went to Alabama his father was an NFL player 
Uh, you, I'm curious if you're interested in some of these third-year tight ends, if you like the idea of them stepping up. Of course, you know, Hawkinson was really good last year. I still think Fant is, is going to be a dynamite player, but I'm not sure how much I trust the quarterback play there. And then, you know, you, you can go first. You can go with Fant first or with some of these third-year guys because I'm also curious. I'm sorry, yeah, you can go with um, with Kyle Pitts first or the third-year tight ends first because I think Pitts is a really – Interesting guy. Is he a unicorn? Is he not a unicorn? Do we have to draft him like he's great right away? Well, his ADP is presupposing that he's going to be a star right away, or at least a very, very, very good player right away. Normally, I would not make that bet on a rookie tight end, but maybe I just have to accept that Pitts is a unicorn. So uh, in either order, uh, give me your take on Pitts, and let's talk about some of these third-year tight ends. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm not sure what to think about Pitts, but but I, I will say that there's been some really smart people saying what exactly what you're saying that he is a unicorn, right? He isn't, he's in our typical rookie tight end, right? He, he isn't going to fall into kind of the TJ Hawkins and hype where we were maybe expecting a little more out as a rookie year. I haven't drafted uh, Kyle Pitts, but maybe I think it's just, I'm more in that Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson range of tight end there where I kind of know what to expect. And I kind of know what that role is. Um, but with that said, you know, Kyle Pitts could, you know, easily earn hundred plus targets, right? In that Falcons offense where it could be he could be lining up a little more uh, as a receiver. Um again, I'm trying to buy in a talent. So if I'm if I'm buying in a talent here, Kyle Pitts is a guy that, you know, we I think we need to buy in a talent wise. He essentially was the offense for for Florida at some points. I, I do love Noel Fat. Injuries aside, seems like whenever this dude's healthy, he's super efficient, right? And just just explodes doesn't need a doesn't need a ton of uh um targets to m- make things happen there with that ridiculous speed as a it's just a freak athlete there like six four two fifty so yeah I'm definitely digging some guy like Noah Fant I definitely prefer to wait but Hawkinson Hawkinson's a guy that I think is I'm just worried about the team context in Detroit I'm just worried about how many points they're really going to score right like it almost feels a little. 2020 Eagles situation where if that offense really, really, it's easy to look back in hindsight, but if that offense really, really struggles, do we really want to take a tight end as kind of a top eight tight end? I'm not sure about that. You know, everybody talks about TJ Hawkins could lead the team in targets. Okay. But you know, are those quality targets coming from Jared Goff? I'm not sure. Right. The entire team might be a little bit different. They don't really have any other notable wide receivers there. So no fan, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a sucker for freak athletes. So if I'm gonna love no fan, I might as well be buying into Kyle Pitts at the same time. So in a standard league, now the fishbowl obviously is tight end premium, but in a standard league where you, you just need one tight end and they don't get any artificial bump, how have you been playing tight end? What 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 um, pocket have you been making most of your tight end picks? What who are some of the guys that you've been drafting more than once? Um, I, I, I'm definitely in that Noah fan, Logan Thomas range. I, I really like Logan Thomas. Once again, um, I know it's a, you know, different quarterback. Things are different, right? There's not going to be Alex Smith checking the ball down as much there, but I do like kind of Logan Thomas there. He showed a lot of signs with some of the targets in area yard share kind of last year. Um, and just expecting, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to kind of air it out a little bit. Um, and as like a top 10 tight end, I'm kind of, you know, he's, Logan Thomas is probably the last tight end that I'm like comfortable with, you know, regular, you know, opportunities and regular production from in that tight end one range. 
not really sure what's going to go on with the Miami Dolphins with uh, so many added pieces there with like Will Fuller and um, Jalen Waddle and, you know, all these kind of added things there. Probably my, I'm usually a weight on tight end guy. So if I miss on Logan Thomas, I'm, Gerald Everett is my guy that I've been kind of pumping up is the guy that I think is, I think is, he's going to be this year's Logan Thomas, right? When we look at, when we're looking at a guy like Logan Thomas, we're looking at a, just a athletic tight end. Didn't really get the opportunities. I think Gerald Everett kind of fits that profile, kind of a taller, uh, more athletic uh, tight end there with the Seattle. I know Seattle doesn't necessarily throw the tight ends a ton, but uh, often with some of the research I've been looking at, it's like, you know, if we're looking at efficient receivers, they're usually paired with efficient quarterbacks and Russell Wilson's probably one of the more efficient quarterbacks. So he, he may not need a ton of targets or opportunities to really make things happen. And he's a really good out. So I think Gerald Everett is a guy that I'm uh, looking at. There's, I guess his ADP is kind of bumping up, but early in, early in the off season, he was more like way, way, way down the, the ADP range there. But No, I like that. I, I still remember one year, Russell Wilson propped up Jimmy Graham when Graham didn't have a lot of explosion left, but, but Wilson got him a bunch of touchdowns. And when you're drafting outside the top five or top 10 to tight end, Touchdown equity is certainly a big part of the game. And since you mentioned Everett, this gives me a chance just to pivot back to the Rams, which is where this all started. Uh, two things I want to mention. I, I probably should have mentioned earlier just that uh, Xavier Jones and, and Jake Funk, not sure if I mentioned them earlier when we are talking about Henderson. Right now they are probably the second and third backs on the depth chart. So you know, we're doing a lot of research on those guys and seeing if we think they can have a viable role. It's something we need to get a handle on in the next few weeks. With Everett leaving the Rams – one of the big mistakes I made last year, and it seems so stupid now, right? Tyler Higby had that monster ending to the 2019 season. And I thought that was signature significance. The idea that Bill James would talk about that a small sample isn't something to be concerned about if something that happens is so monumental in scope. And I thought, not that I thought that Higby was going to be Travis Kelsey all of a sudden, but I I thought that the genie was out of the bottle. It really wasn't that case at all. Higby was a part-time player. Now that Everett is gone, uh, do you think Higby makes sense as as the top ten tight end somewhere, or do you think it's a trap? We, you know, what he had that big run that one year, but so what? It was a month. Let's just forget it ever happened. Uh, give me your take on Tyler Higby. Yeah, last year I was kind of fading him after that stretch towards the end of the season uh, because I yeah, I think it was a bit more context related, right? It was easy matchups. Uh, I believe Gerald ever was kind was of hurt. banged up and things like that, and so I was kind of like, oh, I'm not. No, I don't think this is legit. Um, but you know. To be honest, once you're shopping outside of the top, like I think maybe even TJ Hawkinson is probably that cutoff. I mean, I love Dallas Goddard, but as long as Zach Ertz is around, like is that is that going to be a is, is he going to be as relevant as we want him to be? Um, you know, if we're kind of shopping in that range, I think we're definitely kind of hoping for a gamble there. I mean, yeah, Tyler Higby should step up in terms of target share, but again, if we're looking at just kind of early kind of best fall ADP here, like I. I'd rather just take Noah Fan and Logan Thomas right after that, um, that I feel like are just better. Logan Thomas is a little bit different, but just better athletes, better talent, better, better talent there, you know, but who knows, Tyler B could take on more of that tight end share, but, but I, I don't even know who the next tight end is on the rounds, but you know, they could mix in, you know, some guy as well. So actually there might be a guy uh, that's kind of a dynasty sleeper. If I recall. The words of Corbin Young, uh, again, one of the up and coming fantasy football and fantasy baseball analysts. And I want you to, to check out his work where you can. Uh, Corbin, give 
our listeners an idea of what you're working on, where they can find you, where they can follow you and all that good stuff. Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, I'm uh, writing, contributing to several places. Uh, I write for Rotoviz, kind of new on there. Um, I contribute to Fantasy Data, um, playerprofiler.com. Um, in terms of football, uh, I haven't done as much football for fan tracks there, but those are the three main sites that I've been doing football-wise. Um, and yeah, I've got some, uh, like you mentioned earlier, kind of looked at the you know, the running back kind of dead zone, a couple of guys that I was interested in there. And then some of the second year wide receivers uh, planning to build upon that and uh, look at the, just, just some other guys that are notable um, based on some research. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Corbin underscore young 21. And that's kind of where most of my work kind of gets posted out there and can connect with me as well. So good stuff. And definitely a recommended follow a lot of interesting conversations, a lot of, Excellent work. And, and look, I mean, when they bring you on Rotoviz, they they know that you're you're doing deep work. And I, I know Matt Kelly doesn't handle any slackers over at Roto Underworld. So, um, you know, impressive that you've you've gotten your your feet in uh, your toes in the water at so many different shops that I respect. And uh, look forward to seeing what you'll come up with in the next few years. And uh, great to have you on the show today. If you're into podcasts not just fantasy podcasts. We really have you covered at Yahoo Sports. Charles Robinson, our esteemed NFL writer, is bringing his podcast back. It's not how you pod to win the game. So uh, nod to Herm Edwards there. Charles Robinson, one of the most plugged in NFL reporters and also a, a really good fantasy player. He runs a 20-team a league that uh, we've actually named after Therese, the late Therese Paler, who we unfortunately lost. Uh, he was a member of that league. The league has been named after him, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going through that league a 20-team bloodbath run by Robinson. So uh, check out his new pod, new pod to win the game. If you're into college sports, we got the three-man weave of Wetzel, Thamel, and Pat Forty, our old friend from Sports Illustrated. They've been doing their thing for a while. The College Football Inquirer is what they're calling it. So uh, check out those guys. Uh, they recorded an episode this morning from Tokyo. So I guess they're going to incorporate some uh, some Olympic talk, maybe, or who knows? These guys, these guys are globetrotters. If there's a story anywhere, uh, you know, Wetzel's going to find it. Thamel's going to find it. Forty's going to find it. They have great chemistry, so check those guys out. The NBA, is there a more fun sport for people on the court and off the court drama? The NBA Finals have been fantastic. I still can't get that ending of Game 5 out of my, my head. It looked like Phoenix was going to steal it, and then Milwaukee said, no, no, this is our game, and they throw the alley-oop to Giannis, and that was that. Uh, post it up with Chris Haynes. We'll, we'll get you covered on all things NBA, on court, off court, what's going on. The NBA is always at one of those great leagues with storylines pop up all the time. And uh, I really enjoy Chris Haynes' work. And so let's, let's check him out both for the rest of the NBA finals and then into the crazy NBA free agent season, the draft and all that good stuff. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Scott underscore Pianowski. And you can, of course, follow the Yahoo account at Yahoo Fantasy. Matt Harmon will be back in the chair on Thursday. I'm sure he'll have a great guest and more intelligent chalk. Until then, for Corbin Young, our guest today, who was terrific, for Brett, for John, for our production team over at Yahoo, keeping us on the air and sounding good, I'm Scott Pianowski. Why not go draft a Yahoo Fantasy football team today? We'll talk to you soon. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. 
So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.